Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I'm going to do something off the top of the program that I don't often do. I'm going to be very negative for a moment, and I'm going to like try to take you to as dark a place in the not-too-distant past for Georgia as I possibly can. And we're going to go here for a specific reason here today. Because I think to fully appreciate what happened for Georgia last night, I'm talking about the specific context around it, I think you have to go back to a pretty bleak time in this program's history to understand why last night was really fun. It was not all that long ago that a lot of us had some major concerns about the Georgia offense. I think in the year of 2019 on the field, Georgia's inability to score points costed a chance to to, to be more of a factor in the postseason story. You know, they just were less than the very best teams in the country. And I would say deficiency on offense. Y'all know I was not a fan of the James Coley offensive system. I like Coley as a dude, I think. And I certainly think he was a very good recruiter for Georgia. But the offensive system he was running just didn't work. Just It just didn't work. And Georgia has been better, remarkably better, every year since he has left, including uh, this year so far there as well. I don't mean to pick on Coley, but it just wasn't working. And, you know, prior to that, Georgia was a little bit of a run-first type team, and it was great that Georgia was running the ball as well as it was, but, you know, not committed to the passing attack, you know, made, you know, it, it just sort of left a little something to be desired. And one of the ways in which this kind of showed up was with a lot of elite recruits who Georgia really wanted. I would say that we would all agree that Georgia at the time, it appeared that Georgia really needed them. And in some respects, they were kind of candid about, I'm not really quite so sure that Georgia is a place I want to be. Do you remember when Georgia had a commitment from five-star wide receiver Jaden Hazelwood? No, it's fair to point out that thus far in Hazelwood's career, you know, it hasn't exactly worked out. This was some sort of huge miss for Georgia. That's not the point of all of this. But at the time that Hazelwood was in high school, he was at Cedar Grove, a lot of us would have said, man, this is the player that Georgia has to get, or a player like this is the kind of player that Georgia has to get. And after Hazelwood had decommitted from Georgia and was kind of considering going other places, you know, he would be interviewed by Dog Nation, and to Jaden's credit, you know, in a way that not all recruits like to do, Jaden was pretty candid about why it was that he was considering not going to Georgia, what caused him to decommit, and why he was so strongly considering going other places besides UGA. This is an unpleasant quote, and it takes us back to a little bit of a bleak memory, but in terms of understanding what's going on right now, it's important to go here to begin our show today. Let me read you this from the pages of Dog Nation, October of 2018, about Jaden Hazelwood, former five-star wide receiver. He's at Arkansas now originally signed with Oklahoma but about his uh, sort of uh, you know lack of certainty about Georgia being the right fit for him he says for me to go there meaning Georgia for many for for me to go there that's a major switch up for the offense if I go to an offense like that it will take a lot for me to learn you gotta go there and block somebody on every play I don't know how to explain it right now but I'm not used to that I'm used to a spread type of offense because that's what I run in high school once again, that's Jaden Hazelwood at the time, a five-star receiver in the class of 2019. He said that in October of 2018, you know, this notion of, I don't know if I want to go to Georgia and block somebody on every play and be a part of an offense that's not really throwing the ball deep down the field and getting guys of my skill set, guys of my talent level involved in the offense. I'm not quite so sure I want to go there and be a part of that. And Georgia on the field at the time wasn't really capable of doing anything to prove Hazelwood wrong. I'll give you another example. This is a guy that's actually on the Georgia roster now. That's Eric Gilbert. But when Gilbert was also a big-time recruit, the following recruiting cycle, uh, coming out of Marietta High School, also a five-star, you know, once again, his hesitancy seemingly about uh, joining up on the Georgia roster was related to his belief that Georgia just wasn't all that effective when it came to passing the football. I'm going to give you a quote here from Gilbert. It's a clip I'm going to play for you. Jeff Sintel asking him about Clemson. Now, ultimately, Gilbert didn't go to Clemson. He, he didn't go to Clemson, you know, signed with LSU out of high school. But listen to his reason for saying, hey, I might go to Clemson over Georgia, once again related to some of the same stuff that Hazelwood had said the year prior of, 
I'm just not really quite so sure what that offense is doing right now. This is uh, Eric Gilbert going back uh, to when he was a recruit, once again, from the annals of Dog Nation history. Georgia versus Clemson. How do you compare those two schools? I mean, they're somewhat similar, but Clemson, I feel it passes a little bit more. So, I mean, that's the difference between them, I guess. I mean, here, I mean, here the... <laughs> The lack of enthusiasm from Eric Gilbert. Now, I guess I go to Clemson. They throw the ball more than Georgia does. I mean, it's once again that sort of like faint praise, or in some cases, no praise at all of UGA as a place that Gilbert didn't want to come out of high school, a place that Jaden Hazelwood didn't want to come out of high school. And regardless of how those decisions are viewed now from the perspective of years later, at the time, those were seen as big recruiting losses, and they were seen as big recruiting losses because of Georgia's inability to sell its own offense to recruits uh, of that stature. Well, fast forward all the way to the future and what occurred last night when four-star wide receiver Tyler Williams made his pledge to Georgia. Dog Nation was on hand for that there uh, at Lakeland High School in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, Williams got a live animal involved in the decision. We always are fans of that. The uh, great-looking dog there. Tyler Williams had an awesome shirt on, uh, the red Georgia hat. Lots of family and friends were gathered around him. It was a great ceremony to be a part of. And you, of course, know Well, if you get a chance to add a four-star wide receiver into your class, whether it be 2023 or any other recruiting cycle, of course you want to do that. But here's the thing, though, y'all. This is why this matters. It's not just that Georgia got a four-star receiver last night. It is in the context of all the receivers in the past or pass catchers in the past who are like, I don't want to go to Georgia and just block the whole time. All of a sudden now, that is not what elite prospects are saying i want to give you a little bit of a clip here from uh, tyler williams and i want you to listen to why williams said he's coming to georgia given the years of backstory and all of this this is a remarkable transformation this is tyler williams on his decision to choose uga take a listen to this i actually just got off the phone with the coaches not too long ago oh, they called me they just got out of practice so it's great i mean I've been waiting for the last couple of months to really like just get it over with. I kind of knew for a long time. I can say after the first game, really, like after I seen the numbers they put up and the stats, that's when I really knew. I mean, if I could go back in time to the version of myself that existed just a couple of years ago, I was probably about 40 pounds heavier then than I am now. But if I could go back in time and talk to that version of myself and say, hey, uh, younger BA, guess what you're going to hear in just a couple of years? A four-star wide receiver, a guy and a prospect that you're going to really like, he's going to sit here on the Dog Nation video channels on a, whatever night that was, Tuesday night, and he's going to say, I'm choosing Georgia because of what I see them doing with their offense during the season, citing the first game as Oregon as an example of that. Do you know how good of news I would have thought that would have been based on what I had to endure and what you had to endure with Jaden Hazelwood turning up his nose at the Georgia offense, with Eric Gilbert the first time around turning up his nose at the Georgia offense? Do you know how good of news I would have thought it was to have a guy like Tyler Williams saying, yeah, not only am I going to Georgia, I'm going there specifically because I like the way they're using their wide receivers. I like the way they're using their pass-catching targets. I want them to do with me what um, what they're doing with everybody else. I, I want that in my life. And by the way, last night in this same interview that Jeff Sintel was conducting with Tyler Williams after he chose Georgia, he kind of went into a little bit more detail on that. I'm going to let you hear the, the, the question here from Jeff, and you can barely hear the question, but you can hear the answer great. Jeff says, you know, what do you like with this Georgia passing attack? Kind of following up on what he just said there. And you can't hear Jeff's question great, but you can hear the answer perfectly. I just wanted to include the question for the context. Here is Tyler Williams uh, once again on this Georgia passing attack that he wants to be a part of. A lot. Um, a lot of people touching the ball, everybody getting reps. Right now, I think they got the best pass game offense, most yards, most completions, and all their quarterbacks efficient. I mean, once again, how good does that sound? Y'all, we've been hearing the exact opposite of that for years. And Tyler Williams is like, they didn't have to tell me what I could be. They pointed to other guys who are and say, just do what this guy's doing once you get here. By the way, the numbers back up Williams' point. You know, going into the Missouri game on Saturday, did you know that Georgia is eighth nationally in passing yards per game right now at 350? 
Like, that's amazing. Uh, Georgia's 16th uh, nationally right now when it comes to yards per attempt in the passing game at 9.6. And maybe the most remarkable of all, you know, when Jaden Hazelwood and Eric Gilbert were kind of, you know, dumping all over the Georgia offense, you know, back years ago, at that point in time, Georgia was outside the top 80 when it comes to passing attempts per game. But right now they sit at 31st. And you don't want this to be, you know, an offense that totally foregoes the rushing attack. I understand that. And by the way, more on that in a moment. But to think that you could go from being a team that was passing below the national average and kind of the bottom half of the country in terms of even passing attempts per game to now being 31st, that means you trust your passing attack to seemingly pass as much as possible. And Tyler Williams says, I noticed that and I want to be a part of it. Now, that's really awesome news. And it made the Williams thing really fun last night. But if you're a skeptical guy, here's what you might say or skeptical person. Uh, if you're a skeptical person, here's what you might say. Well, B.A., that's just one guy's opinion, you know, whatever else. But here's the thing you got to notice is that Williams is not the only big-time recruit recently to sort of say something similar about the fact that, hey, I'm not recruited to Georgia because this is how bad they need me. I'm recruited to Georgia because this is what I can do, basically following this proof of concept. Because what Tyler Williams said last night sounds an awful lot like what Oscar Delp, who I think if you've got you know a pair of eyes that work, you'd probably say is on his way to being a, a pretty good football player, if not a very good football player at Georgia by the time his career is done. Once again, his reasoning for choosing Georgia last year, and he told us this himself, his reason for choosing Georgia was not, oh, this offense is so bad I can dominate from day one. It's no, I see what others are doing in this offense, and I want some of that for myself there as well. Oscar Dell from a year ago sounding an awful lot like Tyler Williams did last night. I mean, it really just came down to where I'm going to get developed the most and uh, have the, the best opportunity to make a name for myself and really kind of get the ball and uh, I think that uh, Georgia has developed offensive line developed defense and every every week in practice I'm really gonna be uh, getting reps against the best players in the country and I think it's really gonna make me a better player in the long run and uh, kind of I love what they're doing with Bowers so far this year and uh, how they're gonna use us together in the future I think is really gonna be a cool thing I mean once again let that last sentence really hang in the air and really pay attention to that a guy like Delp says I like how they're using Brock Bowers right now I don't have to use my imagination of how they might use me. I like what they're actually doing in real life on the field each and every Saturday. That is a tremendous transformation for the Georgia offense. Now, let me kind of wrap all this up by saying this. If you've ever tried to change anything about yourself, here's the thing you know. Change is just really, really hard. And so when your favorite football team undergoes a dramatic change over the course of a couple of years, you need to notice it. I don't think that Georgia would have won the national championship last year had the change not taken place. And I don't think that Georgia would be in the position that it is right now if that change wasn't still taking place. That Georgia went from, eh, you know, kind of a, I mean, I, I just hate to say it like this, but kind of a mediocre offense. A couple of years ago, Georgia was barely scoring 21 points per game in SEC play. That is a mediocre offense. And yet, over the course of a couple of years, They've kind of pushed the boundaries now where they're scoring in excess of 40 points per game. They're passing in excess of 300 yards per game. They are, you know, among the most explosive offenses in the entire country. You don't have to take my word for it. Oscar Delp said he saw it last year. Tyler Williams said he saw he sees it, and he said that last night. This is a dramatic transformation. It's a change for the better for UGA, and it might just be getting started. I mean, I really My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pest Management, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you join us live on video, starting at 945dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, no matter how you join us on video, we're just glad you're here, whether it be live or watching it later, whatever else, we're just glad. Speaking of that on-demand product, podcast works the same way. Apple Player, by the way, since our... <laughs> Speaking of bleak times in the past, since that moment a couple of weeks ago when the Apple player wasn't working, I think since then it's been you know really strong. So hopefully that continues to be that way. And uh, if it's not, y'all let us know. But so far, so good on that. So if you're joining us via podcast, we really appreciate that. Apple, Spotify, the Google player, whatever the, your your mechanism is. Thanks for doing that. Radio Noon, App and Sports Radio 960 RF. I 
was on 960 this morning. We're actually have a little bit of a shout out for 960 the rep before our show is done today too. So we love our radio partners there in Athens. Always fun to be with all of them and fun to be with you as well. And our ability to do this made possible because of our great sponsors like our friends at Breda Pest Management. You know, they're the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics, which is a really good thing. And uh, you want to trust them because that's who UGA trusts. But here's the other thing there as well. When you've got the kind of resources available to you like Breda does to be trusted by George to take care of Sanford Stadium and all those athletic venues there around uh, campus there uh, at University of Georgia, that's also a level of resources and strength they can put to work for you, not just taking care of you when it comes to bugs and critters and things like that, but also taking care of what I'm guessing is probably your biggest need right now because I know it's my biggest need. That's more money in my pocket. Y'all, stuff is just more expensive than it used to be. And for a lot of us, that's true for our pest control provider there as well. That termite service, listen, in Georgia, you got to have it. Those of you who are homeowners, you already know that. And that termite service that you have it's just expensive. It just gets more and more expensive. So when you make the switch to Breda Pass Management, they're going to put more money in your pocket just for making that choice. Uh, that's what they're able to provide for you. They've got you know a business that's been around since the 1970s. They've got more than 100 employees. That They have like a lot of strength, and they leverage that strength for your benefit, putting more money in your pocket. So check them out online, BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. Make sure you check them out today. Great to have them here with us today on Dog Nation Daily there as well. We will check out Mike Griffith here in a couple of moments. Mike will give us some thoughts on Georgia traveling to Columbia, Missouri. Como, as they call it, as the dogs return back to SEC play on Saturday and obviously a stretch of SEC games coming up after this. How do the dogs you know, look as they're preparing for all of that? Mike will tell us about that here coming up in just a little bit. Before that, though, I'm going to go around the doghouse and I think it's interesting. <sighs> And I guess this is probably the definition of irony. I'm probably not always great at defining certain words, but I believe this is ironic. I just started the show and did, you know, 12 minutes or so on an unbelievable, unforeseeable transformation for the Georgia offense that at one point in time, there was this like really meager passing attack and big time passing weapons, pass catching weapons, didn't want to be a part of it. And just notice what's happening around you, dog fans. I said just a moment ago that all of a sudden now you do have you know elite guys dealt from last year williams from last night other names you could cite who are choosing georgia and they're explaining the reason that they are choosing georgia because georgia's been so effective at throwing the ball to guys who they believe look like them well lo and behold now that that's happened all of a sudden the other side of that coin seemingly there's a little concern related to that georgia is a very effective passing team right now but what about the rushing attack Seems like that's a lingering issue for some Georgia fans. We've certainly talked plenty about that. We've talked about the role that running backs play in that. We'll do that more this week included. But also there's this thing, and I've I've seen a lot of this. You know, my job as a person who speaks to Georgia fans every day is to be aware of what Georgia fans are thinking and what they're saying. And I, I take that part of my job really, really seriously. And one of the things that I know is a lot of you have been saying, hey, what's going on with Georgia's guards? What's going on with that interior of the offensive line? Is that an area in which Georgia's not getting it done? And is that why the rushing game seems a little less than what we're used to for Georgia? What's up with all of that? Well, last night, Kirby Smart was asked that question directly. And for those of you who are convinced that that's a really big issue, Smart last night, for the most part, was just not playing ball with it. This is what Smart said when asked directly about how you would evaluate the play of his guards in particular from the game on Saturday. This is Kirby Smart. Yep, we got the same guys up and uh, always trying to clean up to just play better. You know, when you don't punt, it's hard to say you played poorly. But you got 500 yards offense, it's hard to say you played poorly. poorly. But I, 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 I always want to play better. So uh, there's not a guy out there, it's not guards. You can point the finger at the quarterback, the center, the guard, the tackle, the receivers. Everybody out there can play better, and we can coach better too as coaches. So it's an interesting response from Smart. It's the kind of thing that he sometimes does, and it's his prerogative to do this, but he's not acknowledging the premise of that question. What he was asked is, hey, are you considering making any kind of changes to the guard spot just given the fact that you know the appearance was that things weren't great last week? He says, we're keeping the same guys, and we didn't punt. We had over 500 yards of offense. He's essentially, in that instance, just not even acknowledging that there is a problem. And who's to say? I mean, I'm not smart enough to know. Maybe maybe he is right. Maybe it isn't a problem. Uh, it's a little bit difficult to define exactly what the problem is, 
But there is this sense among a lot of fans of something doesn't quite seem right with the traditional Georgia rushing attack when it comes to traditional running plays with running backs. And is that the problem with the backs? Is that the problem with the offensive line? We talked to John Stinchcomb about that on Monday. And Georgia fans are trying to sort of figure that out, trying to define what they think the problem even is. And when it comes to this issue, to the extent it even is an issue, you're getting very little in the way of cooperation from Smart on this at all. And what makes this interesting as Georgia goes on the road against Missouri on Saturday is that this is a unit up front defensively when it comes to the defensive line based on what they showed last week against Auburn, based on what they've shown over years, that Smart has some respect for. So if you have any issues or questions related to your offensive line right now, this would seem to be a week, even though Missouri is a, by appearance is an overmatched opponent, that you got to have your offensive line figured out because, as Smart says, he thinks that Missouri defensive front is actually pretty good, more from Smart from last night. Yeah, they're really physical. They're big up front. Uh, you know, they, they, they did a good job stopping the run last year versus us. Um, they Their size up front, athleticism up front, uh, really aggressive. You know, they played, uh, they played Auburn really aggressive. I mean, in terms of the box count they were in, um, some of the run stunts they run are similar to the ones we run, and they, they're, they're getting after it. You know, they're challenging you to, to do something outside of that. Uh, but, I mean, they don't have to have that many. They can still stop the run because they're, they're physical up front. I mean, you just watch our game last year, and a lot of the same people are playing in both sides. And um, I, I feel like Missouri's always been just massive and one of the most physical fronts we play against. So as far as my opinion on all of this, and it's not just the Missouri game on Saturday, it's sort of every game here moving forward, on my list of what to watch for, Georgia in its running game is always going to be a part of that. And it's not because I don't appreciate how effective the passing game has become, and it's not how that I don't appreciate the fact that Georgia's putting up large numbers of points on a per-game basis now. That's not to say that I'm somehow not impressed with the other facets of the Georgia offense. But I think you still need to have this, too. Frankly, I think Alabama's stance is a little bit of proof of that. If Alabama was just better at running the ball in a more traditional way, it would not have been in a dogfight against Texas a couple of weeks ago. But Alabama is not quite as good at that as they used to be. And so suddenly when you know Bryce Young and the wide receivers are either you know nicked up with a fingernail or something like that, all of a sudden they're just not quite as effective as they used to be or, or quite as effective as they typically are because – they don't have that counterpunch they can throw, not the way they once would have in the past. And that, and that Georgia, I believe, offensively does still need that counterpunch. Yeah, in college football in 2022, you've got to have the great passing attack. But at a certain point in time, we've said this before, you know, the success of passing plays is dictated by one of two things. It's either better talent or better scheme. That if you have better players, they'll get open. If you've got a better scheme, you can scheme guys open. But at a certain point in a season, you do run up against equal talent. And in some cases, coaches who have equal ability to scheme you up on the other side of the ball. And at that point in time, when it's equal talent versus equal scheme, to be able to say, we can also physically move you. We can shove you out of the way and create the, the, the dominant advantage through our sheer physicality. That's an important element to also have because if you don't have that, you leave the result of the game up to chance, which is, I think, something Alabama and probably Ohio State have done a, a couple of times here in recent years. So when I watch Georgia, I am watching that rushing attack. I'm not quite so sure yet it's necessarily a, a big problem or maybe even a problem at all, but it ought to be a point of emphasis for all of us, and I think that no matter what Kirby Smart says, it's probably a point of emphasis for him too, whether it be offensive line or running backs, whatever else. Uh, Georgia's got to be good when it needs to be traditional running plays with running backs. It's how it won the Clemson game last year. It was a big part of the second half story in the national championship game as well. And at some point in time in 2022, that facet of the Georgia offense is probably going to need to return. That is around the doghouse. And we're happy to have you with us for it here today on dog nation daily presented by Breda past management. Now, when we're done before we're done, we'll get an early look at some of the big games of the weekend and they're, really a pretty deep slate of those games here uh luther burden the five-star wide receiver has kind of former five stars kind of clarified some of his remarks from earlier this week or what was kind of interpreted as a remark from him what is his status going into the game against georgia on saturday and his long-term status there at missouri we'll have a little bit of a chat about that before we're all said and done here too so we got a lot to do before we're done but for now on what's going on in georgia traveling on the road in sec play once again Let's get all kinds of information about that. We call it a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. Let's talk to Mike Griffith right now. 
from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. I want to bring in Mike Griffith on this topic, Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. Uh, Mike, glad to have you here on the show today. And here's what we've been talking about in some form or fashion for the last couple of weeks. Like what's going on with the Georgia rushing game, you know, with running backs in particular, is it even a problem? If it is a problem, how do you define it? Like what's the, what's the specific thing you point to that says it is a problem? And is this more about, hey, something going on in the interior of the offensive line? Is this something going on with the running backs themselves? Is it even an issue in any form or fashion? Kirby Smart last night you know, wouldn't necessarily acknowledge that it was. So you're obviously watching Georgia every week pretty closely. Uh, what do you think about the state of the Georgia rushing attack, specifically when it comes to running plays from running backs? Yeah, you know, Kirby pointed it out last night, Brandon. He's not happy with the red zone efficiency when it comes to touchdowns versus field goals. And, uh, you know, we've got a story up on uh, Dog Nation right now about that. Only 65% of the red zone trips are resulting in touchdowns. I mean, at Ohio State, it's 90%. At Tennessee, it's 86%. At Alabama, it's 80%. You've got to score touchdowns when you get in the red zone. And Kirby says it's two things. Stetson Bennett has missed some open receivers, throws you got to make, and the running game, to your point. When the box gets tight, when those other teams can pack it in, Georgia's having trouble getting a push. Now, it's interesting to me in how Del McGee's using the running backs. I mean, he has he's recruited one SEC, all-SEC running back in seven years. Could one of these other backs have all-SEC potential? Maybe. But right now it's Milton and Edwards, and we're really not seeing a lot of Kenny McIntosh near the goal line. We've seen him more as a, a receiver. Um, the freshman not quite ready, apparently, for those situations. Um, but I, I put it more on the offensive line. I really do. I, I don't see the holes that I've seen in the past. I don't see the physical domination that I expected to see from the offensive guards. Yeah, I don't completely disagree with you. I don't. But I also feel like I'm seeing certain moments with certain backs at certain times and the way I describe this to the audience of the day is, you know, I'm sitting there, and of course, in the press box, you have to be, you know, professional, and so I'm not cheering or anything like that. But when you feel like you're on the verge of seeing an exciting play, you do sit up a little straighter, or you lean in a little bit more. And I kind of find myself, you know, on a, on a running play here and there where I do kind of stiffen up a little bit to think, oh, maybe something big's about to happen. And a couple of times, yep. it sort of feels like it just doesn't. So, Look, I'm not smart enough to evaluate this. I, you know, I'm not breaking down film. I'm not a former coach. It's not what I do. But there are a couple of moments in which I do kind of find myself thinking, "Ooh, big run's about to come," and for whatever reason, it's just not materializing right now. And I don't know that I put that on the offensive line. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say. And, and to your point, you know, I, I still remember covering Barry Sanders uh, his, when I was in uh, Michigan. Uh, I, I would go to Lions games and. Talk about edge of your seat. I mean, every time that guy touched the ball, you, you, you felt the electricity, and you were literally on the edge of your seat. So I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, I, I guess if the people can do the chair dance, we can do the chair goal line run, Brandon. Um, but I think part of that has to do with how they're kind of coached. I mean, you always be patient, wait for holes. You know, I remember talking to Swift one time uh, about three years ago, and, and Swift is a, a, was a really neat guy. I used to really enjoy talking with DeAndre. And I said, you know, man, you guys on your goal, you know, I forget what the percentages were on third and one or third and fourth and one, and I ran these numbers, and they were just pathetic. They were really bad in short yardage then. And I said to Swift, I said, how come somebody just doesn't go in there like a missile, man? I said, I just wonder, I mean, are you guys just not built for that? And I swear to God, Brandon, it was almost like DeAndre took that, sh- I almost said a bad word, almost took that stuff personal because he started being like the goal line. Like, Swift was like, all right, you want to see? And and he hit the line, you know, like a rocket ship, right? And that's just, sometimes you just want to say that. You know, I mean, sometimes, and when you're a running back, and, and listen, I'm the Al Bundy here, high school running back. I mean, there was no greater feeling than just going into that line at 100 miles an hour and not even caring what, what was on the other side. And But these backs that they have are so doggone skilled that they want to be patient. They want to trust the block. They want to wait for something to develop. And I think these other teams are just doing a great job. Sanford, even Sanford, FCS school, being quicker off the snap, getting low, and, and, and taking away these running lanes. 
And so this, this whole concept of being patient and waiting, it's not really working for you. So I, I want to see more of the, the Bear Alexander lead block. I, I want to see more of that, that brute power electric football run with just bodies in front, uh, bulldozer style. That hasn't been George's way um, because a lot of what they do is determined at the line of scrimmage and even in play, right, when they run the RPO. So when you line up and try to play that way, you're really not giving yourself many options. And one of the things Todd Munkin's offense is predicated on is having so many options when you go to the line of scrimmage. But executing those short yardage runs, Stetson's ability to find receivers in the red zone, as Kirby Smart said, that's the head coach talking about it, not me, uh, it's not been up to par, according to Coach Smart. So I want to talk about the red zone thing here for a moment. Now, Kirby Smart did talk about this last night, and I specifically held it back from today's show because I didn't have time for it, and B, I wanted to give more time to it because – Kirby Smart knows a million times more about football than I ever will. There's not a single part of me that would ever pretend to be in sort of the same universe of football knowledge as him. I just don't play that game. That's not what I do. But I'll tell you this with great confidence, Mike. What he said about the red zone last night, if he believes that he's going to run his way to great success inside the 20, he's just flat wrong. George has been trying that for years. It's never worked. Go back to 2018. This was one of the highest scoring teams in the SEC, but they were one of the worst teams in the country near the goal line because they were just trying to maul people at the line of scrimmage. And when the field gets smaller, it gets easier for the defense. I heard what Smart said about the red zone last night. With all due respect to a man who knows infinitely more about football than I do, he could not be more wrong about his assessment of what's going to fix the uh, – to the extent there even is a red zone issue for Georgia, Smart couldn't be more wrong about that. They are not going to run their way to glory inside the red zone. You do have to throw the ball. You have to be more aggressive inside the 20. And you know what? I don't have a problem putting more of that on Bennett. You have to make your most precise throws in the red zone because you're throwing into a tighter, smaller window. The best throws you make have to come on the short field because there's just less green grass to operate on. But, you know, Teams that are great in the red zone over the course of a long season. You know, Ohio State does have some rushing touchdowns in the red zone right now. But teams that are great over the course of a long season will be great with the passing game in the red zone. So if Georgia's going to dramatically improve its red zone fortunes, Mike, I am confident that's going to come through the air and not on the ground because they've tried the ground stuff on the red zone before, and it just doesn't get it done. Yeah, it's tough. There's no doubt about it, Brandon. When when the other team can put seven, eight guys in the box and – and if you don't have that Herschel Walker back, and let's be honest, they, they haven't had a, a, a true great power back probably since Gurley in terms of just being able to just dominate. Um, you know, I think Zamir was respectable, but I, I wouldn't put him in that same category. Uh, yeah, I think Kendall Milton, I don't think Kendall's 100% yet. He missed two scrimmages. I, I think he's fine enough to play, and I think he's good. I mean, my goodness, he's averaging 5.6 yards of carry, and he's got the longest run by a running back this year. But it's not the same Kendall I saw last year. I think we'll see better out of Kendall Milton. What I've seen George do well is, is Stetson near the goal line has scrambled a couple of times. Yeah. Now, Kirby, Kirby doesn't want him extending the ball out, as we saw you know, K.J. Jefferson right. game-changing play, Missouri. So, so, St- so right. Stetson's got to be a little bit better with the ball security and, and how tightly he carries it. But I've been very impressed. Uh, with how Stetson has made plays near the goal line off the scramble. Now, I think you're right about that. I do think a running quarterback is a red zone weapon. I, I think you're right about that. And I think the K.J. Jefferson play has probably been shown in every meeting room and every team in the country uh, <laughs> in, in terms of if it's not the last play of the game with zero seconds on the clock, do not extend that football because the risk of that is obviously pretty great. How about, you know, just a larger picture going into Missouri on Saturday? Georgia has been – amazing on the road for quite some time when you compare that to a team like Alabama whose road performance is nowhere near as good I think it speaks to the fact that Georgia is making it look easier on the road than it actually is um you think that continues on Saturday I do I do I think that you know you you had another you know I'm just gonna say it I I just can't play along with this Kent State is good thing Brandon I just can't it's just because they're not they lost 33 to they had a lackluster game. I, I don't know why that's hard for crew to say, look, we didn't play a good football game. But, you know, well, we had over 500 yards. We didn't play. Look, you didn't play good. You did not play to the standard. They will play to the standard for a couple of reasons. One, Missouri's a threat. And, and I know, you know, you know, cue the laugh track right there. But, but Missouri will load up, and they will force Georgia to go downfield. We saw that last year. I mean, if Stetson doesn't complete a fourth down pass, they're losing to Missouri after one quarter in Sanford Stadium. That's what it took last year. 
So Missouri understands the formula. They got a lot of those same guys back. They're going to plug the line of scrimmage. They're going to make Stetson make some throws. He's going to make those throws. They're going to make those catches and runs. And, and I think they'll run away from Missouri. But it's going to be tough to get the ground game going. Um, I don't know what the weather looks like in terms of temperature. I don't think any type of hurricane precipitation will follow you out that way, Brandon. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be uh, great I, I weather. Wonder, I think it's. I mean, honestly, okay. this is one of those well, days, Mike, where I think that Georgia is very happy to be several hundred miles from home because the weather in the Midwest, <laughs> which is where uh, Como is, is uh, far better than it's expected to be down here in the southeast. No, no doubt. And so I, I think you know, as long as there's not bad weather, I think Stetson Bennett's going to have another 300-yard passing performance and remind everybody why you know he's one of the top five Heisman candidates. I think. You know, if Arian Smith will be back, then, you know, Kirby's talked about that, that he's been in practice. Not sure about A.D. Mitchell, but, oh, by the way, Darnell Washington's still on your team. And if Kenny Mack's back, I mean, that guy's got the most catches. I think they're going to be able to throw it around the yard on Missouri. I really do. I don't know if he's going to solve the run game, red zone issues, but I, he probably won't have to. I see some, some quick strike, long touchdowns, because Missouri's going to force that. They're going to force that, just like they did last year. They're going to make steps and throw over the top, and I think he's going to throw over the top. So here's what I can tell you, and I'm speaking as a fan here for a moment. I'm just sort of glad to have SEC play upon us. Like with the Kent State game, I said this to some of a video audience a moment ago. You know, sometimes things aren't necessarily a bad harbinger of doom, nor is it a good springboard of the future. <laughs> it, some days it's just sort of a date on the calendar, and I think that's what the Kent State game was. I don't think it proved anything one way or another. I don't think it's an opportunity for Georgia to use. I don't think it's a negative data point against Georgia. I think it's just a thing that happened and you move on from it. And frankly, it's just a lot more interesting. Even if Georgia's like a 28-point favorite, it's still an SEC opponent, and it's going to be next week against Auburn. And then for the foreseeable future, I think, what, seven games over the course of the next eight weeks, all against SEC foes. Mike, for me, that is a welcome change. And Georgia's going to dominate most of these teams. We expect them to. Something's wrong if they don't. But it is so much better than you know whatever you know whatever the last two home games have been the next few weeks are at least better than that <laughs> Brandon you're so right it, it's it's such a tough pill to swallow because you've got to do your due diligence as a fan I suppose and, and go to these games and and follow these games but, but Kirby is you know look Kirby says it best we're not practicing to beat team a we're practicing to beat all of them right and there's been a lot of roster management going on and and I just give this as a for instance for, for people I said, do you really believe that if Kirby was going all out guns blazing that Brock Bowers would only have 18 touches? 18 touches. He only averages touching the ball four and a half times per game, Brandon. You and I sat next to each other in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and we saw him targeted 15 times in the SEC championship game. 15! He had 10 catches for 139 yards. So Kirby's being careful. He's playing young guys. He's developing depth because they don't have the same sort of championship depth that they had a year ago. And the only way guys like Beer Alexander get better in a Mary Smith is with repetitions. They may not be among the best at their position, but these are opportunities against the Sanfords, against the Kent States, uh, against South Carolina, for that matter, in the fourth quarter, to get these guys the quality reps so that as the season progresses, when you have attrition, you have a capable player. And thank goodness, because now, uh, you know, it would appear you know that you're going to be out with, with, without a, yet another defensive back. Is Tyke Smith ready to step up? Does Kirby have to juggle and Chris Smith plays there and, and, and a different safety? David did. Does, you know, we just don't know how you compensate now for the a loss of a defensive back who we assume will be suspended after the DUI charges Sunday morning. All right, let me uh, get one final thought from you here in a moment, Mike. Before that, let me remind folks, this is our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And obviously, I'll be outside the state of Georgia here this weekend, but I love being in Georgia, love living in Georgia, doing my life here, raising my family here. And let me tell you who else loves that there as well. It's the great agents and employees of Georgia Farm Bureau there as well, because they're always the home team. That means they're Georgians just like you. They're in communities just like yours. They're taking their kids to high school football games on Friday, just like you're doing. They're you know doing youth sports on the weekend, going to church on Sunday, all, all those things that we do right here in our great state. Georgia Farm Bureau uh, agents and folks are doing that same thing there to you. So it's a great resource for you to think about when you're thinking about your home insurance, your auto insurance, those things that you need to protect the home, the thing that protects you, the, the vehicle that gets you to work each and every day, those important pillars of your life. You need protection for them. That's what Georgia Farm Bureau provides. They're always the home team. You can find them online 
gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. Happy to have them as part of our insider update here on Dog Nation Daily. Mike, give me a final thought here. Second month of the season begins on Saturday. Um, give me a thing to watch for or a thing that's on your mind. Uh, just kind of a final thought from you on where things stand with Georgia one-third of the way now through the regular season. It's, it's a program that's evolving, right? Todd Munkin has done an incredible job rewiring the offense around Stetson's strengths. We've had an entire offseason with Stetson as the number one. It's made a difference. He's not making bad as many bad decisions. I can't say he's been perfect. Kirby kind of called him out in the red zone stuff. But he's making better decisions. Um, I, I love what he's doing with the ball in his hands as a runner. Um, he looks very confident. I think he's got a better field awareness. He's improved his footwork. He's, he's making the intermediate throws that he wasn't able to make last year. And this has really raised the level of performance in the offense. It's really allowed Georgia to stretch the field horizontally as well as vertically. Uh, they need to get A.D. Mitchell back. They need to get Arian Smith back. Those are, the, those are the vertical threats. And this is a Georgia team that's going to get better as the season progresses. I, I feel good about the offense. Um, I, I know that the run game has had some issues. But as you're able to stretch the field vertically, Brandon, I think that's going to open up the run a little bit more. Defensively is my concern. Um, you know, particularly with the off-the-field incident. That, that's not a good sign. Uh, that's a leadership. That's an accountability thing. Need to see people grow in those areas. Uh, Jamon Dumas-Johnson is, is becoming the player that, that I've, I've been talking about. I'm thrilled with his on-the-field leadership. I think he needs to have more of an off-the-field presence. It's just fun. Even though George is number one, okay, it's just fun to watch this team grow and get better. Uh, there, there's other challengers. Ohio State's real. Alabama's real. I don't know if you know, what Georgia will look like come November. There's, there's very real challenges in the East, better teams, Tennessee, Kentucky, both. Um, but watching Georgia get better from week to week, this is what I hope fans are appreciating. There are some struggles, but that just makes it all the more impressive when the team gets better each week. And as you said, you know, now we're starting to get into the deep end a little bit. Now we're getting into SEC playing. Granted, there may be some water wings with Missouri and Vanderbilt and Auburn, but soon enough, uh, the waters will be infested with sharks come Jacksonville and Tennessee and Kentucky and Mississippi State. And right now Kirby's working um, to do everything he can to make sure that the Bulldogs can handle those challenges. Mike, great stuff. Thanks for being here with our uh, Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. We'll look forward to reading you uh, at dognation.com. I guess you're also going to be Auburn LSU on Saturday, so we'll get some reports from you down there on what they call the loveliest village on the plains. We don't quite think of it that way here, but uh, <laughs> you will be on the plains, as they say it uh, here this weekend. So uh, we'll get some thoughts from you on that coming up on Saturday. All right. I appreciate it, Brandon. Thank you. See, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, good stuff from Mike Griffith. We'll get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Can I show you all this? So uh, we're going to do our normal shtick here in a minute. But our buddy Wise Dog, who's just so great on Twitter, was a big part of our first ever Dog Nation cruise. So uh, he sent this on social media, kind of doing some of our workforce around here. So he'd actually reached out to me to say he was going to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise here this week, and they pulled into NASA on the Bahamas. He said, we pulled right into and right next to Independence of the Seas. He says, you can join us on the next Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. First of all, I got to send Wise an endorsement check for uh, doing that for his uh, Twitter following there, but uh, gives the hashtag Dog Nation. And I got to tell you, I, uh, and, and he and I actually kind of exchanged a little bit of a message about this the other day that my favorite thing is the way the ships sit in port. Like, I love the way in which, I mean, it just looks like the Death Star, right? I mean, it just towers, you know, above you. It's like one of these great, I mean, it's hard to even believe this is a structure made by man, but he's on his ship looking across at Independence of the Seas. Uh, You see one of those balcony staterooms, which uh, I just love sitting in there. And all of the fun to be had. I'm glad Wise Dog's enjoying himself and excited to think about Independence of the Seas. Uh, uh, Wise Dog and so many others being a part of uh, with there for that. But I'm telling you, I'm like a kid at heart. I hope I always am. But when you drive up, like in Port Canaveral is almost always where I go. When you drive up to the port and you're like pulling up and you just see the ship that's sitting there. These Royal Caribbean ships are just towering over the port that's sitting next to it. Like, you know, the port's a building. It's a pretty good-sized building. The port's sitting next to it, but the ship is just, like, engulfing. It just, just you know, the, casts a shadow that covers the entire thing. 
and Independence of the Seas is a fun one to be on. And coming up on April with Wiser Dog and so many of you are going to be doing that there as well. So take if you don't take my advice, then take a good dog fan like Wiser Dog's advice and be on the Dog Nation cruise with us coming up in April. Or do like I'm doing. Take you a couple practice cruises to get ready for that, because as you see on the video, for those of you watching the video, that's Perfect Day Coco K. And that's the ultimate abyss that some of the ships have, including the one I'm going to be on, Wonder of the Seas, coming up in uh, December. But the stuff you get a chance to do is just so much fun. I'm taking my kids on their first cruise here this year. I'm excited about that. Uh, I, I just I just love it, and I know you will too. And here's what you need. Like, you hear me talk about it, but you still got questions, right? So we have a great travel agent that's going to help you with this. This is a travel agent specially selected by Royal Caribbean to get your best Royal Caribbean cruise experience. So her name is Jessica Slater. You can give her a call 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also check out the website that she has made for information for the Dog Nation cruise, royaldogs.com for that, royaldogs.com for more on that. Now, let me tell you one more thing here, then we're going to move on. The one thing that Jessica has hammered home to me, and she wants me to make sure that you're all aware of, is that while you've obviously got time to book your cruise, we're not leaving until April, but on, on September 30th, a very special sale ends on behalf of Royal Caribbean. I think we did a story on this at Dog Nation yesterday. Our buddy Michael Carvel uh, wrote this up for us. But if you book your cruise between now and September 30th, you do get a chance to enjoy $100 worth of onboard credit. And, you know, that, that matters. That can be used for shore excursions. That can be used for drinks at the bar, specialty restaurants, merchandise. You know, you know, there are a lot of things on board that can be used for. And that's like a you know, three hundred dollars right there in your pocket while you're on the ship. So uh so talk to Jessica about that. She'll give you all the details. Seven seven oh seven one eight nine one four seven. That's seven seven oh seven one eight nine one four seven or royaldogs.com more. That's the uh website you can go to for all of that. So let me every now and then I get to be kind of a newsman here and we can follow up on a story we reported on yesterday. There was some weird cryptic messages from Luther Burden, who's Missouri's best player and a recruit that Georgia lost out on in maybe somewhat surprising fashion, you know, going back a year ago. And um, (laughs) Burden had some very cryptic stuff on social media where he had sort of taken all the Missouri stuff off his Instagram page and had this sort of like weird, I forget even what the message said, but it's basically one of those things that was commonly interpreted. Oh, uh, so-and-so, Burden may not be too happy over there at uh, Missouri right now because they're obviously not very good. So on Twitter yesterday, he comes out to say, Missouri fans, please don't misunderstand my intentions. I'm always a tiger. Just be patient. Here we come. So maybe all is well for now. I guess Burden, for unrelated reasons, is not necessarily expected to play on Saturday. He's battling a little bit of an injury, so there's a chance that Georgia doesn't see him on the field on Saturday. But obviously, anytime a player of this stature goes to a program that we don't expect to be pretty, good, don't expect to be very good, you're left to conclude. Well, how happy is he going to be playing there if the team is as bad as I think it's going to be? And maybe in the early stages of the Burden era there in Columbia, you're left to uh, wonder that. We're also going to talk before the show is done this week about another aspect of the Burden recruitment that I think could have a factor in Saturday's game. Just put a pin in that for right now, and know we're going to come back to that before it's all said and done. And so our ESPN analyst Joey Galloway has called Tennessee one of his most impressive teams here thus far this season. And here's a small, simple point I want to make here. You know, we talk about point spreads on this show a pretty good bit, and we do so knowing that a lot of you have no interest in ever gambling on a game, and if that's your choice, that's a totally fine, totally valid choice. It's not my intent to necessarily influence you to do something that you don't want to do. But the reason we actually mention spreads when we do is not because, hey, everybody's gambling or everybody should gamble or anything like that at all. We believe the point spreads are expectations. And we believe that the best way to understand college football as correctly as possible is to view the sport through the prism of expectations. So when Joey Galloway goes on television and says, I got to tell you, Tennessee is the most impressive team I've seen all season long. Well, they are undefeated, and they did get a historic win against Florida on Saturday in the most watched game of the day, higher TV ratings than any other game for last weekend was Tennessee's win against Florida, and I call it historic because Vols hadn't beaten Florida since 2016. And When they beat the reigning ACC champs on the road a couple weeks prior to that, that becomes the basis for kind of mainstream media guy to really sort of tell the tale of, boy, Tennessee's been my most impressive team. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. Obviously, I'm a Georgia guy, and clearly, I don't like Tennessee. I don't make any bones about that. 
when it comes to stuff like this, you know, I do try to be as objective as I possibly can. And that's another reason why we use point spreads as a way of understanding our expectations for, for teams going in, because I think it sets you up to better predict or at least project how the rest of the season might play out. And here's what I'm going to tell you. The Joey Galloway's statement about Tennessee is greatly overstating what the Vols have done thus far this season. Yes, they did win at Pitt earlier this year, a team that beat it a year ago. But the fact of the matter is, last year in year one of Josh Heupel, Pitt was a road favorite at Tennessee, whereas this year that scenario had flipped itself and Tennessee was about a touchdown favorite on the road at Pitt. In other words, based on expectations, Tennessee only did about as well as it was expected to do at Pitt earlier this season. And yeah, Tennessee got the win against Florida on Saturday, but actually, relative to expectations, they were supposed to win by double-digit points. They didn't do that. They actually underperformed what the market sort of thought they were going to do. And even if you didn't bet on the game, that still matters because here is what it leads me to conclude. And you heard me say this during the offseason a lot about Tennessee. I knew in the summertime that Tennessee was going to be pretty good. And I told you that here on this show. The question I was asking myself out loud then, and I asked you directly, those of you who listen, is, is there a chance that Tennessee's even better than we think? Could they take a game they're supposed to win by a touchdown? Could they win it by two? Could they take a game they're supposed to win by 10 points, find a way to win it by 17 points? Could they actually exceed expectations thus far this year? The answer to that question has been no, they haven't been able to do that. They are a good team. They may go 10 and 2. But I haven't seen anything yet from Tennessee that makes me believe they're a real threat to challenge Alabama third Saturday in October or at Georgia coming up in November. They're just not there yet. They may be the third best team in the SEC. We'll find out more about that when they travel to LSU next Saturday. But for now, in terms of being a real threat to the teams that are clearly slotted above it, I don't see any evidence right now that's the direction that Tennessee is heading. And then I'll finally mention this as part of our cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Uh, we do sincerely send out our prayers to folks down in Florida, including the uh, Florida Gators. Uh, I'll just call them the Florida Gators for right now. I won't say what I typically say. Uh, including Florida, uh, obviously South Carolina, and <laughs> all those folks. Um, because they are in harm's way potential when it comes to weather. And you're seeing a lot of schedule changes related to this. Let me give you just a couple of these. And this is not a complete list. I don't even know if I know the complete list. But Florida, Eastern Washington is now going to be in Sunday um south carolina south carolina states also moving there as well kind of reminds me of when georgia played at south carolina on sunday in 2016 remember how weird that was uh that game's being moved there as well ucf is moving its game south florida is moving its game uh i haven't heard anything yet about uh about florida state wake forest um maybe there is a change on that i just don't know that one yet that's a good question um but we're obviously watching a lot of this kind of stuff right now so so stay close on that you care about these games you kind of planning your own schedule around watching george on saturday night just know there are some changes there's going to be some sunday football a lot of this happening there down in the sunshine state some of this over in south carolina there as well so keep your eyes on a lot of that and for a lot of the games played in this part of the country which george is not this weekend but for a lot of the games played in this part of the country you're going to have a little more rain than normal there as well and that could be a pretty big factor there too we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and of course as a way of kind of previewing what we're going to be doing uh this weekend let's give you a snapshot here of some of the big games of the weekend and speaking of point spreads we'll do this from a point spread perspective right now these are early thoughts from me i'll give you my official predictions before the week is done but here's some just some early thoughts right now we'll call these are my bookie best bets you see georgia huge number against missouri uh, you've heard me say that the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Well, the best time to bet Georgia, Missouri was on Sunday because that line was a little softer then than it is now. 28 is a key number. Uh, number was underneath 28 earlier this week. Uh, keep your eye on Alabama at Arkansas on Saturday. I think th- this is a fascinating game. You'll probably agree with this. And I think it's fascinating for, for a number of reasons. Alabama has not been good in true road games. They just haven't been. Not good against Texas earlier this year. Not good at Auburn last year. Florida, you've heard me say all this, uh, lost on the road to Texas A&M last year. So can they go on the road and cover a 17-point favorite against an Arkansas team that emotionally might be in a flat spot here? Now, you're typically not flat to play Alabama, but Arkansas should have won last Saturday against Texas A&M and didn't uh, for two very weird reasons, the the 14 point swing on the fumble at the goal line the uh the 
field goal doinking off the uh, the, the crossbar or the, the the upright. So you emotionally you kind of wonder what kind of spot Arkansas finds itself in. And I realize I just said that Alabama has not been great in road games lately, but this is typically the time on the calendar and the kind of game that Alabama typically dominates. Is this typical Alabama or is this something less than typical Alabama? I think after Saturday, we're actually going to have a pretty interesting window into all of that. I'm also interested in Kentucky going to Ole Miss on Saturday. I would say Kentucky is another one of these teams in the SEC East. Yeah, they're undefeated. They beat Florida. But relative to expectation, I don't think Kentucky's have been anywhere near as good as people thought they would be. Offensively, they're just not great. Now, I don't think any of us around here thought Will Levis was as good as he was, you know, you know, projected to be or, or, or suggested that he would that he would be. But Liam Cohen, no longer offensive coordinator there. It seems like they're a little bit of a downgrade right now. With Scangarello, is how you say his name? You know, the guy from the NFL that's replaced Cohen, I don't believe is Cohen's equal here at the moment. And, you know, Kentucky has kind of scuffled around with, like, group of five and FCS-level competition here right now. Uh, they have a chance to prove something on the road. Ole Miss actually probably been pretty good thus far uh, this year, although they were not great this past Saturday. So is the West – and the East, are these two divisions that are on a similar par with each other? Well, if they are, Kentucky should be able to play with Ole Miss all day on Saturday. We'll find out if that's true. Then finally, from the SEC, A&M is ranked on the road as an underdog against Mississippi State. That's always an eye-opening thing to pay attention to. And the highest-ranked matchup between opponents comes from the ACC on Saturday as NC State travels to Clemson. Clemson slipped last Wake Forest last week. This is the game that NC State's had circled for a while here. Uh, Clemson, a six and a half point favorite there. We'll make those your my bookie best bets. We'll pick those games as a part of Go With The Flow coming up on Friday, presented by R.S. Andrews. And a lot of big games we're not picking. Auburn LSU, I think, is a fun one. You've got uh, Wake Forest, uh, Florida State, which I think is a fun one. You've got some interesting stuff coming out of the Big Ten here this weekend, too. You've got a ranked game. I forget something from the Big 12 uh, Baylor against somebody so you've got some pretty good games here this weekend biggest deepest slate of the season here thus far and so we'll be following a lot of that on Friday both with our best bet picks and our uh, full slate of games that we're picking there right there and by the way if you do like betting on games or if you think you might like betting on games my invitation to you is try our friends at my bookie for all of that because they're going to take good care of you as a first-time player when you make an initial deposit when you put money in your account they're going to double that initial deposit all the way up to a thousand dollars so what that means is you put in 400 bucks they'll put in 400 bucks for you that means you've got 800 dollars in your account before you even place and make and win your first bet that's how my bookie takes care of you've been doing it for a long time uh and my bookie it's just as simple as that you can bet on anything anytime anywhere and you play you win you get paid it's just the way it goes with our friends at my bookie but to take advantage of that big deposit bonus Got to use the promo code Dog Nation. Find them online at my bookie, then use the promo code Dog Nation, and they'll take really good care of you today. Uh, that's my invitation. Use the promo code Dog Nation. Get the big deposit bonus, spread bets, money line, everything else in between. You can do that with our friends at my bookie. Find them online. Use the promo code Dog Nation for a lot more on that. And also, one more thing to think about as we head towards the weekend. Of course, we love the weekend around here, and on Fridays, we celebrate the weekend with our big finish presented by the finished long drink. That's me showing off all of you uh, enjoying yourself some finished long drink at your tailgate or your watch party or whatever you're doing over the course of the weekend or whatever you're doing over the course of your life to make any day sort of feel like the weekend. That's what uh, the finished long drink's all about. It's a lot of fun. It tastes great. The four different varieties. There's the long drink cranberry. There's the long drink strong. That's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. Long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. I like the traditional. It comes in a blue can. It's got the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. It's like a mixed drink in a can. It's it's a cool category of beverage. Some of you have tried it and you love it. Uh, it sort of looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a mixed drink right there in a uh, can. Refreshing citrus soda, premium liquor kick. You can't beat that. Uh, you can find out some more for yourself today at thelongdrink.com, thelongdrink.com. And you can enjoy some finished long drink, and we'll celebrate you as you do with our big finish presented by the finished long drink on Friday. So send us some pics, and we'll show them right here on the screen. Coming up on Friday for our big finish presented by the finished long drink. So funny golden shoe today takes a little bit of explanation. Uh, our buddy Logan Booker, radio host on 960 The Ref in Athens. I join them each and every Wednesday, and of course my show airs every Monday through Friday at noon. 
And so Logan put this in on Twitter earlier this week. He said, uh, I put out the call a while back that if anybody could cross-stitch for me the Alabama radio call of Keeley Ringo's pick six to seal the 2021 Georgia National Championship. And I guess Bumpstock Barbie got this done. And there it is. It's the cross-stitch of the uh, way in which Eli Gold called that Keely Ringo interception there for Georgia, which I think is really funny because sometimes the opposing team's radio call is obviously one of those things that kind of lives on your mind because you've been waiting to hear Alabama sound disappointed about losing to Georgia for quite some time. Now, on a serious note, Eli Gold's obviously battling a little bit of health issue right now. He's not actually currently calling Alabama radio games, so we send our prayers to Eli. He's certainly a big part of the SEC story and a big part of Alabama football, and we'll hopefully see him back calling those games again soon, but Obviously, Georgia fans love the idea of Bama being disappointed in that radio call last year. Certainly an example of that. So golden shoe there to Logan Booker for a pretty clever idea. And by the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, 5,011 days. That's how long it's been since they have won a national championship. And that number's going to keep on climbing. And 31 days from right now, dogs in Jacksonville beaten Florida again. We love the thought of that. Eddie the Blind Squirrel loves the thought of that there as well. The official Dog Nation Daily mascot. And we will see you all back here tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down, where we'll take your comments. And I know we missed this yesterday. I had a little bit of a issue. But we're glad to be back doing the uh, Cool Down again today. And there are some lingering thoughts in our Dog Nation comments section as it relates to the game against Kent State this past Saturday. I want to read a couple of those. Smarts the Man says, many people overreacted after the Kent State game. Georgia was several blown plays away from coming close to or even covering the massive spread. Blown plays like fumbles that led to points to the other team, a field goal and a touchdown, that's a potential 20-point swing right there. Turn it over again, that's a potential 14-point swing. And I think that's probably, for the most part, true. He says it was a matter of a lack of concentration. It's not a matter of getting beat not being able to get open. And I think some of that's why Smart just hasn't made that big of a deal about it. You know, I think what I've said is, Hey, I don't think it's necessarily a harbinger of doom that Georgia's going to be way worse this year because of what it showed against Kent State. But I also don't swing the door the other way either, which is, oh, it's a great opportunity for Georgia to be a springboard to, you know, even greater level of play in the future. Sometimes something just sort of is. It's not neither it's neither good nor bad. It's just sort of a date on the calendar. And I think that's kind of what that game may have been. Montana Dog also says people probably overreacted a bit considering the expectations, but maybe not so much. He says, maybe very disappointed is the proper term, or just plain sloppy play, considering we were ranked the number one team in the nation and had dominated our previous three opponents. Let me stop right there, because I think that Montana's on to something here a little bit, too. And I said this after the game on Saturday. The issue for most Georgia fans is, is not, oh, I think Georgia's terrible because of how they played against Kent State. The issue for most Georgia fans is, I think that Georgia's great. I love watching them play. I was looking forward to watching Georgia play. And I didn't get what I wanted. Like, like that, That's just kind of what it comes down to. It's like um, sports is different than movies or music. Do you ever go to a concert, something like that? You know, if you go to a concert, for the most part, you get the same performance every time. You know, the singer's voice works, the instruments work. Like you get sort of the same show. In sports, the performance can be wildly different from week to week. So if you went to see you know, Garth Brooks in concert and Garth Brooks was singing off key if the sound system wasn't plugged in, that would be well below what you would have expected for the money that you spent. And in sports, we just have a higher tolerance for that because we know there's competition, there's an opponent trying to prevent a team from looking good. But when you get so used to seeing Georgia look a certain way each and every day, when they don't look that way, it's not that you've changed your opinion of Georgia. You're just disappointed you didn't get what you expected. And I think that's kind of some of what happened there on Saturday. Big Dog 61 says, I don't read anything negative. By the way, uh, speaking of 61, <laughs> the chase continues for a 61 with Aaron Judge in Major League Baseball here right now. Much to the, to the chagrin of some college football fans who had their football game interrupted this past week. But the point is, uh, I don't read anything, Big Dog says, negative into the UGA versus Kent State game. It was a glorified spring game. It's expected. I saw players all over the field and I haven't that I haven't seen all year. And maybe that's kind of true there, too. You know, I think it just sort of speaks to, all right, if games like this don't matter, and you're kind of hearing me say some version of the fact that maybe they don't, then maybe just don't play them at all, right? It's like I definitely don't want to see Georgia play Sanford anymore. That game was a travesty, 12-minute you know, fourth quarter. This game was slightly you know, different than that because Kent State is at least – there are 131 teams in FBS right now. Kent State's above the median. 
65th, 66th, you know, somewhere around that. Kent State's above that median. I, I feel pretty confident saying that. There's some Power 5 teams that are below it. Kent State's better than some Power 5 teams. Um, but if this is all of the level of interest that Georgia showed in the game, then maybe the game just shouldn't be played. Jim Wallace says, I'm with everything that he's heard in the comment section here thus far, watching the game highlights. Um, uh, what I saw was several very bad plays, all of which made a big difference in the flow of the game. Yeah, game flow is definitely interrupted by what happened in the beginning. That was a really you know, wretched first quarter, and that made a, a big difference there on all of that. Uh, Bethridge also weighs in to say all week long, every uh, thing printed indicated that the dogs would have this game iced in the first quarter. Kent State had very similar games with Washington, Oklahoma. They hung 63 on, is it Long Island universities that they played uh, the game prior, having the opportunity to work out some of the kinks in their offense. So basically saying, I feel more relaxed about the Missouri game than I did um, uh, the Kent State game, but the dogs look this way in Columbia Saturday night. I'll have my finger ready to push the panic button. So I think that's pretty well said. I'd also invite you to check out, not that I'd ever invite you to check out another podcast, but um, the folks over at uh, Cover 3 over at uh, CBS had a pretty good interview with the Kent State coaching staff kind of talking about Georgia. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, but I think that's well said from Bethridge, and I think that's a good place to leave it here today. Uh, dogs moving on from Kent State, back on the road in SEC play, and we expect a better performance, and I'm sure we will probably get it. And we'll also see you tomorrow, hopefully a better performance from us too here on our podcast, Cool Down, presented by R.S. Andrews. You can find them online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. And uh, all online, rsandrews.com. And, of course, uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. Before that, you all have a great day. We will look forward to seeing you tomorrow.